Microsoft makes some big announcements in New York, and Google unveils some new privacy features you should know about. What's going on? I'm Rich Demiro. This is Rich on Tech, the podcast where I talk about the stuff I think you should know about happening in the tech world, and it's also where I answer the questions that you send me. And on this show, we'll do things a little differently. Since I'm streaming live on Facebook, I will attempt to take some of your questions live on the show. So producer Megan, in case you haven't noticed, she is not with me today. She is vacationing somewhere in the world, I believe somewhere tropical. So uh, I'm very jealous of her today, but I'm handling the show solo and I've got lots of good questions for you and also lots of updates from this new Microsoft event. I was just in New York City for a Microsoft Surface event. I personally don't necessarily use a Surface. I use a MacBook Pro but a lot of people love the Surface devices, and I see why. It's kind of the best of both worlds. You've got a tablet, you've got a sort of a laptop at the same time, and it's everything you need all in one. And for me personally, I do a lot of video editing, so I use a MacBook Pro, and it's tough for me to switch to a Windows device. I know plenty of creators that do that, but for me, I'm just so used to my Final Cut Pro, I can't leave it, and I love my computer. You guys know, if you follow me, that I just paid about $500 to replace the hard drive in my laptop, $550, I think, to be exact. Woo! But the cool thing about these new Microsoft devices is that they are going to allow you to replace the hard drive yourself in both the laptops and the tablets. So let me just quickly run down what Microsoft announced at their event. They announced five new products, Surface Laptop 3, Surface Pro 7, Surface Pro X, Surface Earbuds. Those are all going to be available by the end of the year. Then there's two new devices, the Surface Neo and the Surface Duo. Let me go through these quickly so that you understand what's happening with the Surface. So Surface Laptop 3, I do have a lot of experience with that device. Surface Laptop 3 is the newest and latest and greatest. It now comes in a bigger size. So you can get in a 13-inch or a 15-inch. It's also twice as fast. And if you had, if I had to pick a Windows laptop, this would be it. It is a beautiful laptop. The styling is impeccable. It is, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. So if I had to choose a Windows laptop, this would definitely be it. In fact, I might be tempted by the 15-inch laptop. I've been editing with this new program called Adobe Rush, and I can do 99% of what I need to do for TV on that program. That runs perfectly on this Surface Laptop 3. So that could tempt me to come over. This is the fastest, according to Microsoft, fastest, lightest 15-inch laptop you can buy. They really went to great lengths to explain how comfortable the typing experience is, and I tried the keyboard out on it, and it was very comfortable. I cannot stand the keyboard on my MacBook Pro. It is terrible, terrible, terrible. Maybe the new ones are better. Mine's a year old, two years old. They also have a larger trackpad on it, and for the first time, you get both USB-A and C. USB-C is the popular connector these days. Now that's available on the Surface laptop. So you really get everything you need. This is a pretty good device. It also has fast charging, which means it's going to charge nice and fast, just like your smartphone, up to 80% in about an hour. The 13-inch starts at $999. The 15-inch starts at $1199. I always recommend going for the next level up. So if you're going for that $1,199, they make those prices sound super sexy for people that just want to get something. But in reality, if you go a little bit higher, you're already going like almost the whole distance. Just go a little bit more and pay a little bit more and you're going to get a lot more for that money. 
Surface Pro 7. Uh, let's see, not much to tell you about the Surface Pro 7, except again, they added USB-C and it's now twice as fast. Now the Surface Pro X, not the Surface Pro 10, Everyone seems to be loving that X naming convention this year. Surface Pro X is their thinnest, lightest, most powerful Surface Pro ever. And it's also connected. It's got LTE built in, which is really cool. I love that idea. And taking a page from the Apple Playbook, Microsoft created their own chip with Qualcomm called the SQ1, which means this is going to have some advantages because they made this chip specifically for this device. It's also very thin. They say it gives you a 13-inch screen and a 12-inch device. And one of the cool new features, they have the storage for the pen right in the keyboard case. So if you get the keyboard case and the pen, which, by the way, adds a whole bunch of money to this device, you can store the slim pen right in the keyboard case, which is really cool. Uh, I love this fact that you can do that because it just means that the pen is always there. It doesn't get lost. And it also charges the pen, which is really cool. The Surface Pro 7 starts at $749. The Surface Pro X starts at $999. Now let's talk about the Surface earbuds. I tried these on, and they look super weird. They look like big, giant discs in your ear. But I will tell you, they were very comfortable, very lightweight. And there's also some tap things you can do on them where you can swipe to move the you know song to the next song and all this different stuff. I didn't have much luck with that. I also couldn't hear them very well because it was super loud in there. But I do think these are promising. Um, I would place them somewhere between the Galaxy Buds and the AirPods. They might actually be better than the Galaxy Buds at staying in your ears. Those are going to be expensive though, $249. That's a lot for earbuds considering... The kind of the best on the market right now, the AirPods are 160. So this is almost a full hundred dollars more expensive than those. All right, now let's talk about the two fun things that uh, Microsoft announced: the Surface Neo and the Surface Duo. This is just—it's crazy for a company to show us something that's not coming out for a whole other year. And by the way, we saw this with Apple. Do you remember something called the AirPower? They showed off that charger at one of their events, and guess what? It never saw the light of day. Let's hope that doesn't happen with these two devices. Surface Neo is a dual-screen device built for productivity on Windows 10X. This is their new dual-screen operating system. It's got a 360-degree hinge with two nine-inch screens. So this is not a foldable display, but it's a display that sort of folds in half. It's a dual display. So two nine-inch screens give you a 13-inch display total. It's really thin, and you can also connect all the other stuff. Think of it as a surface, but both of the screens, or the top and the bottom, are both screens. So you can do a lot with that. Then the Surface Duo is a surface that fits in your pocket. So this is a lot smaller. Yes, it makes phone calls. Yes, it runs some sort of version of Android along with Windows apps and or you know windows desktop apps not there's no windows mobile going on here they're not bringing that back they were they understand what's going on in the mobile landscape it's android versus ios that's it they're not trying to change that but these are two 5.6 inch screens that unfold to 8.3 inches and they showed me they wouldn't let me touch this thing but they they had it like by ropes but they did give me a demo of it not on the screens were not on but you know how you can fold it unfold it the size of the screens it looks cool do i think this is the future right now um i don't think right now but i think that they're onto something and it, it does seem like these foldable displays will be part of our future when it comes to computing while you're calling in, let's get a question from my Facebook page, facebook.com slash richontech. 
This is from Laurel. Hey, Rich, thanks for all the info, tips, and uh, fun stuff you've shared with us on KTLA. Just being sure that upgrading to iOS 13.1 is okay now. Are all the bugs ironed out? I have the 10, 10R. No, the, the bugs are not ironed out. I am still having so many issues with iOS 13, even though we're on 13.1.2. So my advice, Laurel, is to just hang tight. Unless you need it, unless you need that dark mode, you probably don't want to upgrade just yet. I've never seen more issues with, this, uh, with, with an upgrade. I have, but it's unfortunate. But they keep ironing things out. So just I would hold off as long as humanly possible right now. Carolyn wrote into my website, richontech.tv. She said, Consumer Cellular Grand Pad Tablet. Because this is not an internet service, what technical port links the connection for face-to-face conversation? And I had to look up what this is exactly. So the Grand Pad is a tablet that is aimed towards senior citizens. And it looks like a simple Android tablet that has, you know, looks like calls, email, photos, and camera for video conferencing, plus a little stand. And I generally don't like things like this because it, you know, you're basically putting faith in this platform, this consumer cellular, which is pretty big. They're actually very popular, so that's fine. But you're putting faith in this platform that is not proven. So, I'm a little hesitant with that. And then the thing is uh, $200 today with, let's see. So it's like $10 plus $40 a month for a service plan. So the simple answer to your question, Carolyn, is that there is a service plan. So there is cellular built into this device and that's how it's doing things. But I imagine it's also using Wi-Fi. So it connects to your Wi-Fi network. It connects to cellular when it doesn't have Wi-Fi. And that's how you're doing those things. I would probably recommend if you have a senior and you want to get them something to video chat, I would probably look into something like the Amazon Echo Show, the Google Nest Hub Max that has the camera on it. So I would look into one of those because I think that those are a better platform and also the person on the other end can use just like Skype or Google Duo to make a call. 323, you're on with Rich. Who am I speaking with? This is Mark Hi, Mark. Where are you calling from? I'm in Monrovia. Mark in Monrovia. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rich. My question is not so much technical, but it's regarding tech. What is your view on insurance on these devices that they provide from the carriers? Mm, great question. So my, okay, so I can tell you my opinion when it comes to my rational opinion and then my everyday person opinion, right? So my rational self tells me, don't pay 15, $10 to $15 a month, put it in a savings account. And when something happens to your device, you know, maybe six months down the line, you've got anywhere from $60 to $90 saved up. And hopefully the repair is not that expensive. Now, the other side of me says it's $10 a month and it gives you a lot of, you know, it, it just gives you that, that security of knowing that if something happens to your device, it's not going to cost you a ton to get the screen repaired or whatever. So I think with with the way Apple does it, you can do, I think it's like $10 a month. Now they're doing it monthly, by the way, so you can do it forever or as long as they let you. I'm not sure how long that is. But instead of paying the two years up front, you can pay you know 10 bucks a month or $15 a month if you want the loss protection and the theft protection. So I, I personally don't buy the protection plans. I have in the past. And when I have bought them, I usually get square trade because it's a little bit cheaper. 
and you can still get it repaired pretty easily. I think for 99% of people, the easiest thing to do is get it through your carrier or through Apple because then you just bring the phone back to where's closest to you. So I think that's easy, but it also is a very expensive way to protect your device. But then again, insurance is expensive. It gives you peace of mind. And when you're looking at $10 a month, I always call it, did you buy a beer this month? So if you bought a beer for you know five, six bucks, you've already spent that much money. And how, how long did that last you? You know, and this is, you, you can, if you don't drink beer, you can put that on anything, you know, maybe you went to a movie one night, it cost $17 that gave you two hours of entertainment. So it's, it's one of these things that I think comes down to a personal decision, but I think in the long term, sure. we probably ruin our phones less than we think. If you're very accident prone, um, you know, you may want it, but if you're not, I mean, I, I, test a lot of phones. I've, I've broken exactly three in the 10 years that I've been testing phones. So that kind of gives you an idea of, and I, I, a lot of times I'll keep the case on 50% of the time because I want to see what a phone is like with and without the case. Now, my, my follow-up is um, using my carrier, which doesn't, it's not important carrier that I'm using, but they only provide one type of insurance company. Others that out there for these types of devices, yeah, so I think the most popular is uh, Square Trade, um, S Q U A R E. So Square Trade um, is a good one, um, and then I think the other one is is really Apple Care. That's the other popular one. You can go directly. You can actually do it now through your phone. If you buy a new iPhone, I noticed there's now a new option inside the settings to add Apple Care to your phone right from the phone. So if you go into Settings General, it says like. And actually, I talk about this in my book because you can now see the warranty time period too in your phone. But it, it basically lets you add Apple Care right from your phone. It tells you how many days you have left to do that because there's a certain window of time that you have when you get a new device to add the insurance. Um, so I would okay. look into that and I would compare a couple of them. In fact, it's funny you asked this question because I have a story idea for KTLA where I'm going to compare some of these different insurance companies. But in general, if you're going with a third party like Square Trade, it's going to be cheaper. Apple Care is right in the middle. And I feel like the carriers are just a little bit more expensive. But you have to remember there are usually deductibles no matter what. So even if you pay. Yeah, that's, that's what they are. They're extremely expensive. They're deductibles, regardless of the damage. Yeah, and so that's that's different. Now with Apple, I do believe it's only twenty nine dollars if you crack your screen if you have Apple Care for the first two incidents. So it, it, the way I always look at these insurance plans, I add up for two, you know how long I think I'm going to keep the phone. Let's say two years. I add up the monthly fee plus what it would cost to actually do one fix, which in the case of a screen would be thirty dollars. So if you look at ten dollars a month times two years, that's two forty plus thirty dollars. That is uh, two seventy. So you're looking at two hundred and seventy dollars for the first time you need a screen replacement. That's kind of what you're looking at, but you get two years of of security with your phone. So. It's a good question. It's one that, you know, I think is a very personal decision for people. A lot of people just feel better having the insurance on their phone. Take care, Rick. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Good good question. I struggle with that myself. But uh, in general, I think that if you can save the money and you're good in, you know, being diligent about putting that money away, it's never going to catch up. Uh, probably will never catch up to how much you need when, you know, when you need that repair. But at least you'll have half of it saved away. And then it's like not as bad. Now I was, I was kind of telling Mark the story, but I have replaced or I have now repaired this laptop twice. And so I call this my $3,000 laptop, even though it started out as a $2,000 laptop, because 
the first repair was my kid threw a, um, a, a toy at my screen and it cracked the screen. And that was, I think, a $500 repair. And then the second time, my hard drive failed, and that was a $550 repair. So now I'm holding on to this computer as long as humanly possible because it has cost me so much more than it should have cost me. But great question. And uh, Courtney on the live stream, Courtney Rogers says, your story idea for KTLA was from me. So thank you, Courtney. And I will, I will do my research and actually come up with a story for KTLA because I do think that people uh, need to know about that stuff. Question from James Guest. He says, iOS 13.1.2 for iPad is requiring a passcode. How do I avoid a passcode? Well, James, you know, as a tech guy, I can never, ever, ever recommend that you don't put a passcode on your device. You should always have a passcode. The reason why is because you got to protect your device. Let's say someone finds this device. It is now totally, uh, it's worthless to you because they're going to be able to easily take it over if you don't have a passcode on there. Your personal information is at risk if you don't have a passcode. You just always need a passcode. I know it's a pain and it's tough. You got to type it in. They want you to do six digits. There are two things. Now, you're you're asking about 13.1.2. I don't know this to be sure that they're requiring a passcode, but in the past, I can speak to how um, the iPhones are generally set up. And in the past, it says, please put in your passcode. But if you look way at the bottom it says you have an option for new options. And the options are if you want to do a four-digit passcode or bypass the the passcode altogether. So it is small print. It's at the bottom of that screen and they make it so that you don't really see it. It kind of blends into the background so you don't choose that option. But the reality is they want that option on there. They, They don't want you to choose that option. And I don't think you should. I think you should have a passcode on your iPad. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't. And yes, it takes a little bit longer, but it, it's totally worth it. Believe me. All right. Uh, while we're waiting for another call, let me tell you about some new Google privacy features. So they have introduced at least four new ways to protect and control your privacy on Google. And the first is incognito mode on maps. And this is on Android. In fact, this was on my Android for a while. I guess I was in the test case I didn't know that I was one of the testers of this, but if you go into your maps and if you tap your little head in the upper right-hand corner, there's now a new option that says incognito mode. And you press that and now it stops tracking you. So any restaurants you search for, any directions you go to or navigate to, it's not going to keep that in your Google history. So if you want to try that out, just go into Google Maps on Android right now Uh, At the top, you'll see the little search bar. To the right of that search bar is your face or your profile picture. Tap that, and then it says incognito mode. You tap that, and now it's going to stop tracking you. And it will not be saved and used to personalize your maps experience. So let's say you're researching a restaurant that you don't want anyone else to know about because it's it, you don't want it to affect your recommendations from Google. You can tap that incognito mode. It's coming to iOS soon, they say. Auto-delete is coming to YouTube. This is something that's expanding on location history and web and app activity. This is something that you've been able to delete on Google for uh, a couple of months now, maybe six months ago. So now you can extend this to YouTube. So if you go into your YouTube settings, there's now an option to auto-delete your YouTube history. And what that means is you can delete all the stuff that you watch, all the stuff that you search for, all the stuff that you view, 
and you can decide to keep that stuff for three months, 18 months, or until you delete it. So that's a new option as well. And uh, that's a pretty good option. I, I guess, I mean, if you don't want a record of all the stuff that you're watching on YouTube, you can just auto delete after three months. Now, this is really interesting. If you have one of these Google Home devices, there is a new way to control your data right from the Google Assistant. So you can now ask Google, you can say, hey, you know who, delete the last thing I said to you. And then, hey, you know who, delete everything I said to you last week. I think this is really cool. And this is something that we've been asking for as tech folks, because it just makes sense that you would be able to ask Google just as easily as you ask Google a question, ask Google to delete what you just asked Google. Now, I personally think that this is the most incriminating thing in the world. <laughs> if you ask Google a question, then you say, hey, Google. Oh, sorry, I just said the words. But if you say that, and then you say, hey, can you delete what I just asked you? I mean, come on. If I was the authorities, that's the first thing I'd want to know. Hey, did this person ask to delete anything on Google? But uh, maybe it's truly deleted forever. I don't know. I, I would assume there's some sort of record on the Google servers that you asked to delete your stuff, but I don't know. I can't be sure on that one. So if you ask to delete more than a week's worth of data from your account, the assistant will tell you how to do that in your settings. And this is rolling out uh, next week. So that's next week. And then all other languages next month. So you can't do this just yet. And rolling out means that it doesn't happen overnight. It means that it will take a while. And I've got a question on uh, Facebook from Connie. She says, is the YouTube history auto-delete only on Android? Will that be on iOS? I believe it's on both. It doesn't say. Um, I would think that's that's on both. I tried it on my Android, I believe, and it, it was there already. So that, that one was already there. And then the other thing they do is they have... Um, a security checkup, which will automatically detect potential security issues with your Google account. Um, okay, let's see. Yeah, that's okay. Security checkup. I feel like that's that's good to do. And what they're saying is that if you have logged into a bunch of Google devices over the years, you can now easily um, you can now easily get rid of those old devices by doing the security checkup. And then they have a password checkup as well which is going to help you figure out if your passwords are reused or compromised. The problem is to use that feature, you have to use Google's password manager. And it's fine if you only use Google products to use Google's password manager. But personally, I would use a third-party password manager like LastPass or Dashlane. Those are probably two of my favorite. Um, if you're all Apple, you can use the one that's built into Apple. But the problem with using all these things that are built in is that now you're locked into their ecosystem and if you want to switch from Google to Apple, Apple to Google, it makes things a lot more complicated. So when possible, and this is in general, I always try to use a third-party app. Like for my notes, I use Evernote. And it's just better than using the built-in notes app on iOS and iPhone and Mac. Because if I ever want to change things up, I, I have to export all my notes from Apple Notes into something else. So Evernote works across platforms. And it's the same reason why I use Apple Maps. It's the same reason why iMessage really bugs me because it locks you into iPhone in a very big way. In fact, I've actually been testing out Verizon Messages to see if I can use, because Verizon Messages lets you see your messages on various phones, your texts. The problem is you can't use iMessage and iMessage is, is really, really good. 
Hector writes in on my website, richontech.tv. Hey, I'm wondering what the best photo and video editor other than Photoshop is in either free download or purchase for a modest price to use here and there. So this is a great question because this is what I use all the time. I mean, I'm always editing. I don't edit my pictures so much. Sometimes I'll pop a filter on them, but most of the time I am editing video on my computer and also my phone. So when it comes to the best photo editor, I would say an app called Pixelmator is a really good one. It's very high powered, has a lot of features that I don't really understand, but it's a great program. I think I paid five, five or $6 for it, Pixelmator Pro. And they do have it for iOS uh, on your phone. So you can get that for your phone. And it's a, it's, you know, it does everything you need. It does all kinds of like photo editing, this and that. That's too much for me. I don't want to do all that kind of stuff. But I do something um, called Snapseed, which is a lot easier. And Snapseed is just a program that lets you do very, I mean, you, it's very powerful. It's owned by Google, actually. But for me, it's just I love the filters on there, and I love kind of the different little things you can do on there. Like if you have a little, you know, let's say you take a picture and you got some, something stuck in your teeth, you can just kind of smudge that out with a very simple flick of the finger on your screen um, using that app. So Snapseed is really great. If you're kind of sick of all the filters on Instagram, check that one out. The other one people like is Visco, V-S-C-O. That's another photo editing app. I personally don't use it, but a lot of people like to use it. It's also a sharing platform. You can do that. And you did say video editor. So I'll give you a couple of recommendations for video editors. I really like a video editor called Adobe Premiere or Adobe Rush. Is it Premiere Rush or is it just Rush? Yeah, Adobe Premiere Rush. Now that's $10 a month, but it is the best mobile video editor for both iOS and Android. Check that out. If you're on, are you on an iPhone? I can't tell. So if you're on an iPhone, iMovie's pretty good, but I personally like the other one much better. So um, I would I would use the uh, Adobe Rush. And then the other the other one I like is uh, Infinite Stories. If you're just trying to do stuff for Instagram, check out Infinite Stories. That's a that's a pretty cool uh, program as well. So Hector, thanks for the question. Nine five one, you are on with Rich. Who am I speaking with? Speaking with Robbie. Robbie? Oh, BB. Yeah, oh, BBIE. Hi, how are you and doing? Pretty good, isn't you? I'm excellent. What's on your mind? Well, I was just wondering which phone is better, the Samsung J7 or the iPhone um, 7 Plus? Samsung J7. Let's see. I'm looking this up right now to see what the, the usually the J lines are kind of Samsung's entry level devices. Um, they sell them at a lower cost. They don't they don't have all the high end features as their Galaxy S you know S line or their Note line. And then yeah. the other one, is, I have both both phones right now, and I'm just trying to figure out which one to go with. And until I can I go by my if, Samsung Ten. If I had to choose for, between these two phones, the iPhone 7 or the Samsung J7, I personally would go with the iPhone, and I'll tell you why. Number one, uh, you get a better operating system on it because it's going to be newer, more up-to-date, You get, you know, because you can run iOS 13 on it, and you get better apps, and it's going to be faster, it's going to have a better camera, and basically everything about the iPhone is going to be better than this J7. I'm looking at the uh, 
the screen. It's got a 5.5-inch Super AMOLED, so that's fine. It's unlocked. It's got expandable memory. So the only thing going for, I think, is the expandable memory. But otherwise, the you know the rest of the specs are not going to be as good as the iPhone. It's it's decent, and I'm looking at the specs here. It's it's okay, but I don't think it's going to be as good and as long-lasting as the iPhone. So that would be my recommendation. Let's see what kind of Android it's running. Do you know which version of Android uh, it's running? It doesn't even say. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, and the thing about it, just, it doesn't even say what version of Android it's using, but it's Samsung is notorious for taking a really long time to upgrade the Android operating system on their devices. So you're going to be running an older version of Android versus the iPhone. You said it's a 7 Plus? Yeah. Yeah. So you got a nice big screen. I, I think that's the way to go. I, I would. I would definitely go with that phone. Is that? Uh, is that help? Yes, it does. Yeah. I've been watching you on Channel Five TV for a long time, and I decided I'm going to give him a call and see which one he would recommend. Well, I appreciate it. And I, you know, if you said if you said the Note 10 versus the iPhone 11, I'd have to, you know, I'd. I'd I'd have some more debate there, but when it comes to these two phones, I think in my mind the iPhone 7 Plus is going to be a stronger contender for for it's just everyday use. I think it's going to be just easier and better, and you're going to get more for your for your money out of that phone than you are the J7. So, Robbie, good question. Thanks okay, so much for calling. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day. You're welcome. Uh, five uh, six never... two. You're on with Rich. Hello. Hi. Who's this? Hi. This is Tim from Lakewood. What's going on? Yeah, I had a question. Um, thanks for all your help with your tech and all the information you give. I have an iMac 2008, and I'm looking to upgrade it. But I was wondering when I buy the new iMac, can I make this my old one a second screen? Is that something that is available for iMac? Mm, that's a good question. Now, I know with the new, oh, let's see here. Um, Mac OS Catalina. So on Mac OS, the new version of uh, Mac OS Catalina, there actually is a provision for letting another device be a secondary screen. I know that it works with an iPad. I'm not sure if it works with another computer. And I'm not even sure that Catalina will run on a 2008 iMac. So let me look at the compatibility here. Usually that is the bottom of the website. It'll tell you uh, iMac, let's see. Ooh. Okay. So Catalina is not going to run on your computer, which is an iMac 2012 and later. So if you're talking 2008, which is what you said, right? You're you're not going to be able to run the, um, the operating system on there. Now that does not mean that you can't use it as a secondary screen. There are lots of programs out there that will turn, uh, display into a secondary screen. So you need like usually a screen sharing program. Um, Now I know there's one called Duet, which is uh, for Mac. And I think the problem with Duet is that you might need, it it might again work with an iPad. So let's see, turn your iOS or Android device into a high performance secondary display for your Mac and PC. So again, that one is a Mac to a iPad. So a lot of them that I'm seeing are Mac to iPad, but let's see if we can find a program Mac secondary display. Um, have you done any searching to see if there's a, a program that you've been looking at? 
I was trying to like YouTube it, but I didn't really find anything that allowed me to convert my old monitor, old computer into a monitor, second monitor. Well, you know, it's looking, uh, it's looking like there might be a re a, a way to do it. It says that um, you might be able to use a cable to do it, and then there's you can use it as sort of an external monitor. So that might work. Um, I think you'll be able to do this. It depends on the... I would the, just do a cable? Just, uh... Yeah, so what I would do is look on the back of your device, and I'm looking, yeah. I mean, I'm looking here, and it seems like you could probably do this. Um, I think it oh. really depends on your Mac. Let's see. So use an iMac as a display with target display mode. And it looks like you can do this. Um, system requirements. And a 2008 would have that? I'm sorry, what? Target the 2008 Mac would have that. Well, right here's what I'm looking at. I'm going to upgrade Mac to an old one. I just don't want to get, I just don't want to toss the yeah. old iMac I have. I was going to, you know, the, try to use it at least for a second monitor. Yeah. The other, the, the, what I'm seeing on this website for the target mode is 2009 and above. So oh, okay. I, I don't know if you're going to be able to do, you might be able to do it with some software, but I quickly just looking, don't see it. I think where there's a will, there's a way, and I bet there's a way to do it. Um, and I, I think there's a way, but I just can't be sure without, you know, doing some some pretty, hev you know, heavy research. But I agree. It's like, uh, but here's the thing. I mean, you can, you know, there's a lot of other ways you can repurpose this device. I mean, you can make it display pictures. You can use it as a home server. You know, if you want to back up all your stuff to it, which is kind of cool, you can do that. You can give it to a friend or, you know, a family member, which is always what I usually do with my computers. So, um I think that there's a lot, and I, you know, the unless do you do you work from home at all? Um, yes, I do. Oh, you do. Okay, so it would be nice to have that secondary monitor, huh? Yes, it would. Yeah, interesting. Well, I think I think you so, do a little bit of research, but it seems like the first thing you need to do is look at the back of your iMac and um, and see what kind of inputs and outputs you have. You know, so I think uh, okay. I think that's going to determine if you have. I'm just kind of looking on Google images right now to see what's what's on the back so it you know it has, to, it has like some usbs it's uh um i mean it's really old so yeah obviously it, the, the newer newer computers have i think right. it just has but it looks like it's got like a fire a, a firewire mini display port i think you're gonna be able to do it i i would i would do some searching and and look online and see but it looks like you can do it. The only thing is it may just be that if you're, you may need an adapter and a cable, but uh, you know, I'm looking at these things and it, it seems like it's not that far off. I just, I'm a little bit concerned because the official Apple website says that it needs to be a 2009 and above. So that's what concerns me is maybe they just don't have the support for the older ones. Um, I'm going to look up one more program. There's a program called Reflector that is a, a great program that I've used and that might actually... That is only, it looks like it's only screen mirroring and it doesn't look like, yeah, it looks like it's only mainly for screen mirroring and, um, but look at that, look at that app as well. Okay. It's from Air Squirrels. It's called Reflector. So good question. Thanks and, for calling in. And for the new iMac, yeah. what do you recommend? Like start, what I replace it with? Um, I would recommend not going, let's see there, there, I think the iMac has like a, um, the least expensive one. And I think that that's the one you don't want 
because I believe that there's not a retina display. Let me check the uh, specs on this thing. So, yeah, let's see. Uh, okay, so the, the cheapest one is $1,099, and it is not a retina display, so do not get that one. Just I know the okay. next one is $1,299. This went kind of what I was saying earlier. Don't be fooled by the cheapest Apple product because a lot of times they get that price there just to get you in. And in reality, you spend the $200 extra and you're going to get so much more for your money. So for $1,200, for $1,300 versus $1,100, you're going to get a retina display, which is a 4K display, which is so much better than the display on the, the lesser computer. So... That's the one I'd recommend is a $1,300 one. Now, if you're going to keep this thing for a long time, you work from home, you make money using this computer, I would go for the best system that you can afford because these things will last a while. You've had your last one for 10 years, 11 years now. So do the math, and I think that it could be a good value. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much for your help. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate the call. You guys send me a lot of questions. That is for sure. I get questions on Facebook, facebook.com slash rich on tech. I get questions on my Instagram. You guys love to DM me. And yes, I don't check those every day, but I do write back usually once a week to those. So the thing is, if you need something answered, I, email's probably the fastest, but you have to understand I'm doing my job. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to prioritize what needs to be answered. So if it's an easy answer, something that I can quickly write you back, you'll get an answer quickly. But if it's something that I have to do a little more research for and kind of investigate, it'll take a little bit longer. Let me tell you about my book while I have you here. I know it's backwards on the Facebook page, but this is it. The first copy of my book is in. It's called 101 iPhone Tips and Tricks. It is updated for iOS 13, and it looks fantastic. It is so much better than the last book, um, looks-wise. The last book had great information. This one's a lot thinner because I I kind of condensed the tips. I made them simpler. I made them easier to follow, and I also was a little eco-friendly when it came to the actual formatting inside. So chapters can start on left or right of the book. So I know not, it's something that it's not really something you'll notice, but it's something that I noticed when I created the book. So 101 iPhone tips and tricks available right now on Amazon as a paperback. This is going to be the gift to get this holiday season or to give, I should say. And if you want to read it yourself, you can read it for free on Amazon. I put it in the Kindle Unlimited program, which means you can read it totally for free. It's kind of like a loan. You do have to sign up for Kindle Unlimited, but the good news is they give you two months for free. So if you sign up for Kindle Unlimited, you read the book, it's not going to take you more than two months to read it. Um, You just don't get to keep it at the end of that time. So it is kind of a loan. If you want to buy the ebook, you can do that too. And I do get a lot of questions. People ask if Um, if they don't have a Kindle, how do they read a Kindle book? Well, you can download the Kindle app to any device. You can download it to the iPad. You can download it to Android. You can download it to your iPhone. But personally, uh, uh, my thing is read the Kindle version yourself and then gift the paperback to someone this holiday season. It's, it's just a no brainer gift. I mean, everyone, believe me, Anyone you give this to is going to come back and say, oh gosh, I found at least 5, 10, 15, 20 things inside that book that I just didn't know about the iPhone. And believe me, I get the emails from you guys. I know that you're loving it. So thank you. I do appreciate it. It is updated for iOS 13, including all the new features as well.
Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you are a first-time listener here on Facebook or on the website or wherever, please subscribe to Rich on Tech in your favorite podcasting app. And nowadays, it doesn't even have to be a podcasting app. It could be Pandora. It could be Spotify. It's really wherever you listen to audio, your songs, your music, search Rich on Tech and subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. I come out with a new episode every week. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me at richontech.tv if you want to submit a question for the show. That's going to do it for today. Have a fantastic weekend. I'll see you guys real soon. Bye-bye. 